Amen. Amen. You guys have got some soul. I love it. Truth. Um, all I could think about was, I hope Kurt doesn't turn my microphone on too early. <laughs> y'all didn't want to hear that. <laughs> welcome, welcome to my life. Um, hey, so guess what? We've got two people up here today to give the sermon. Um, Michaela has been our kids director and has been really with Wyoming Harbor since day one of launch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so honestly, since she uh, came into the family here, I have been bugging her to come preach. A year and a half. Today, she finally said yes. Um, Which is the last day of your employment with Harbor Church. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Which is a good thing. We'll get to all that in a minute here, but... Um, I'm excited today to get to preach with my sister, uh, Michaela. I think I have my prayer later. Um, actually, no, let's, let's pray right now as we continue to share this message together. Um, yeah, let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you've already done in our midst here and for the voices of your kids that love to sing out to their daddy. Um, it's such a gift to get to hear our collective cry. Uh, sometimes it's a cry for help, and other times it's a shout of praise, and many times it's both at the very same time. So as we step into your word today, I pray that you'll speak, uh, continue to, and that we will uh, all draw closer to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, Kurt, if we need to, to like do this, we can do that. Uh, let me know. But um, let me start out by just saying... That one of my favorite candy bars is Snickers. How about y'all tell me what your favorite candy bar is on three all at the same time? One, two, three. Reese's. Good. Sounds beautiful. Sounds terrible mixing them all together like that, though. Um, Snickers, the almond kind. That's my favorite. Any Anybody like that? We might have some people allergic to almonds. Let me see. Let's go. Uh, so I'll tell you what. Um, I not only is it one of my favorite uh, candy bars, but I've noticed that the only times I eat it, are when I'm under a great deal of stress. Because I think the commercials have got me convinced that somehow that candy bar is like the answer to the stress that I'm going through at the time. It reminds me of the commercials because they make it seem like it's a legit meal replacement. Like, you're going to get everything you need from this candy bar. Um, (laughs) But the thing that's even more so is there's the, like, there's uh, when the person is going through stress in the commercials, everything pauses and then they step away, and it's like, want to get away? Do you know, you know what I'm talking about, those Snickers commercials? And for whatever reason, the candy bar is always in the front pocket. Like, who actually carries a, a Snickers bar in the front pocket? I don't, I don't even get it. But, uh, yeah, so the, when the rest of us watch that commercial, and they say, want to get away, to which we all probably answer, yes, I do. And we head to the gas station and get ourselves our favorite candy. Um, to, for, and for me, that's Snickers. The story that we're going to look at today involves Jesus in, and his disciples in one of those, like, want-to-get-away Snickers moments. Uh, the disciples are in the middle of a storm, and Jesus, at the start of the story, is watching from a mountainside. There, there's a lot that we can learn from this, and I'm excited to have Michaela share her part. We're going to kind of alternate here as we go. But the context leading into this, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, uh, right before, so we're kind of backtracking from where we were last week. We wanted to save this talk for this week. That's why we're going a little bit out of order if, you're, if you've been following. But um, in, the, in the days that immediately preceded what we're going to talk about today, there were three events that I think put Jesus in the state 
at which he was in that is worth noting. So uh, he was denied in his own hometown just a couple of verses before this. Uh, He also was mourning the loss of his cousin John, who was beheaded and murdered for uh, unjust reasons. And he was trying, Jesus was trying to avoid being forcefully made to be king of Israel, uh, all right before the story that we're going to read today. So I believe and think that Jesus was carrying a pretty great deal of stress in this moment. He might have been in one of those, like, want to get away snicker moments. In fact, I think he entered into one of those, which is why he ends up on the side of a mountain needing to be with God the Father alone in prayer. So that's the context of those things leading up to where we're at today. And Michaela is going to start us off by reading the scripture and saying a little bit more about what that has to say to us. Okay, so we're starting in Matthew 22 through 24, and this is in chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went onto the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves against the wind. There are a lot of things that you can impact in these verses right here. So I'm going to talk about what stood out to me and what I took away while I was reading and hopefully helps you as well. One thing is that in verse 22, Jesus tells his disciples to go before him. Meaning that when he tells his disciples to go before him, there is a level of trust he has in his disciples to send them off. Let's consider the time here. They couldn't pick up the nearest phone and call each other in case of emergency. And since they were out on sea, I doubt that they would have good reception anyway. There weren't any flares or any signals like that that the disciples or Jesus could use in case of emergency if they needed help or anything like that. So sending them off was a big deal. Jesus trusted them and knew that he could do what he had to do for himself to go off and pray. But how hard that how, but how hard must that have been for the disciples? My mom told me my dad and they're both veterans of the military. And there's a saying that goes, hurry up and wait. This is where military personnel are told to hurry up from point A to get to point B, only to be told to wait for further instructions. For me, personally, as a habitual overthinker, this would be very hard. And I don't know if anybody else could relate to that. But as a disciple, I would kind of be like, but where are you going, Jesus? Or when are you coming back? And well, what, what do you want us to do next? So I would ask those type of questions. And maybe that's what some of the disciples were thinking without even saying anything. But they didn't question it. Why? Most likely because they trusted in him too. So there is that mutual relationship of trust because they trusted in his headship and they trusted in his guidance. So they didn't say anything, although they may have been questioning like, okay, God, but what's next? In the same verse of 22, it says he sends them off to the other side meaning they had to sail from one end of the island to another by themselves. So once again, there weren't any speedboats, yachts, or jet skis. They were on an old fishing boat. So sailing from one end of the Sea of Galilee to another, it was going to take time. It takes a sailboat about an hour to travel a mile. It means they would be separated from one another for a long yet short period of time. But once again, Jesus was not worried in this. He trusted in them and their capabilities, and because they are his disciples for a reason. 
So he had no problem sending them off. And I want to give that back to you guys. So believe it or not, when God sends you forth somewhere, it's because he already knew you were the best person for it. He trusts in the gifts and talents he blessed you with. And he knows we may struggle, but he also trusts that we'll make it right. Once again, that trust has to be mutual. But we get back to the verse where Jesus dismissed the disciples and the crowds, and after that, he went and retreated. And the verse later says, that night he was there alone. And I can only think that when he did, he of course prayed and he sought the face out of God, but he probably took a nap too. I mean, he was tired. People were trying to force him to be king, and he was mourning the death of a loved one. So he had a lot going on, so he needed that time to retract away from himself. But he charged himself up before going to the next task, before going out to seek his disciples, which is something I think we should all take note of. When you find yourself engrossed in the busyness that life can cause, then take a step back. Come back with a fresh pair of eyes, just like Jesus did. Because when Jesus went up to the mountainside, it's now nighttime. And if y'all know anything about hiking a mountain, then you know getting up and down, it takes a lot of time. In this past month in May, I was actually able to mike some mountains, hike some mountains in Jerusalem. And my goodness, does it take a lot out of you? So I can only imagine what Jesus went through. But you know something? When he woke up and he saw the boat out in the distance, he didn't panic. Nor did he rush when he saw how far away the disciples were. And if you look at scripture through the Bible and anything that Jesus went wherever he was healing somebody, he never rushed. He took in each moment where he was. And when it was time to go to his next destination, he left. Not in a hurry, but he was walking with purpose and intent because he knew what his mission was. And everywhere he went, he was right on time. But maybe going back to the disciples, they didn't feel that way. How anxious must they have been just waiting for those further instructions? Can anybody else relate? You know, yeah, it's tough waiting for those instructions from God because you're like, but what's next, God? And you always have plans in your head that you think are greater, but it's not. And also those plans, you think it should happen then, here, where. But sometimes God's like, nope, it's going to happen when I need it to happen. And it's going to be right on time. So now we transition back to Pastor Jordan where Jesus finally meets up back with his disciples after sending them off to hurry and wait. It's good. Because they definitely felt like Jesus was late to the party. So verse 25 says this, shortly before dawn, which means they were paddling out there for hours while Jesus was spending time with God the Father and charging his batteries. Um, I never thought about that, about like what they were thinking he was doing when he's up there, right? Um, But what happens next is one of those amazing things. You've heard the story before, but... um, Shortly before dawn, uh, verse 25, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. No no big deal, NBD. Uh, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they didn't have access to the Ghostbusters back then either because they didn't exist. Um, So they cried out in fear. But immediately uh, Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So... Yeah, this is like a supernatural thing we're talking about here, right? Because people, people, it's not everyday people walk on water, unless it's frozen. I know what you're thinking. Sometimes that. But um, it, 
what's more fascinating than that is actually when you realize the disciples in their context, with their worldview, with their understanding of what the water meant and why they cried out a ghost, it's, it's actually pretty fascinating. Before I tell you about that, though, I want to actually show you a video. Uh, this, I, a friend sent this to me of a storm that was happening on the Sea of Galilee. So these are like the types of waves that you would have seen. You can show that real quick, Kurt. So they're on the waves in that. It's not a very big body of water. You can see from one side to the other, right? But the fact that the waves can still get that crazy in such a small area, uh, to them, especially in Jesus' day, to the Jewish people there, they understood water differently. So uh, if we're together on a body of water and we're in a boat and one of us says to jump out of the water, I might not because I'm scared to touch fish. But that's my own problem that me and my therapist are working out. But for them, um, I love to just throw those like really deep nuggets like, did he just? Yes, I did. Um, but for them, uh, jumping into the water, uh, they, that's something that they would never do. Because for the first century Jew, the sea uh, specifically and the depths of it were always a picture of like the abyss. So think about it. In, in that context, you got no underwater breathing apparatuses. You can't bring fire underwater. What is down there? Like they literally have no idea. So they're freaked out by it. And I'm freaked out by it. And we have lots of tools we could use to get me down there safely, but not happening, not happening with me. So a couple of weeks ago, you, you heard us talk about Caesarea Philippi and the cave that had water in it and the fear that they had of, of like the underworld. It's all kind of attached to the same thing. In the very first story in the Bible in Genesis 1, um, it refers to the water as the chaos. It's tohu va bohu. Why don't we all say that together? I don't always have people say the Greek words, but that one's kind of far Hebrew. Why don't we say that? To- say tohu va bohu. Good job. You just all went to seminary. You got your degrees just like that, uh, which we translate as formless and void. But they understood the formless and void to really be a picture of chaos to be a picture of hell, to be a picture of, I always think of uh, um, Stranger Things and the, like the upside down, that, that area that's just so freaky that all of your nightmares live. The sea was the abyss. It was pure chaos, and that's how they saw it. So while that's why they're so terrified when not only is anybody walking on the water, that might scare any one of us, but on top of that with their understanding and belief that beneath that lived these ghosts. That's why they would, that's like Pirates of the Caribbean stuff, you know? Like you got Captain, whatever the names are. I don't know them that well, but thank you. Jack Sparrow, of course. Um, see, we're doing great up here, aren't we? Um, Jesus shows them, so here's what I think is so cool about that, is yes, they were afraid. Does, is the water actually the underworld? No. But the fact that Jesus walked confidently on the things that were their deepest nightmare, their fears, right? You already mentioned anxiety, right? The stuff that makes us afraid, Jesus walks on. (laughs) He has 
the power over top of it. And he doesn't, with the, how compassionate Jesus is, as we'll see here in a minute, he, he doesn't step in with, with anger. He always steps in with compassion. Jesus shows them that he stands on top in victory of the things that cause them fear. Because they felt like they had good reasons to be afraid, but Jesus showed up in a surprising way. Um, I've tried to walk on water once, and I'm going to save that story for another time because it's a weird tangent. Um, I told you about it, and it's actually a pretty cool story. My feet got wet, um, but uh, I did it. I tried. Um, thank you. I'll tell you about that later. Uh, but uh, Jesus, God doesn't show up that way for us today, right? Like, it's not like you're on Lake Michigan and you see this figure walking towards you. If you do, call the police and then call me because I want to come see whatever's happening there. But God, God still does show up in surprising ways, though, right? I mean, I think that's, it's probably in the, least, the times that we least expect it that he shows up. So I'm looking at a room here. And I know I mention this often, but this is a room full of people that I've talked to whose stories I know who have faced troubles and trials and many different forms of suffering and loss. And when you look to Jesus in those moments, isn't it crazy how God seems to show up the most when the storm is at its worst? When it's at its darkest? I mean, he does show up on the mountaintop. There, there's beauty in the sunshine. There's beauty in the joy that we get to experience. I think God can be found in the depths and in the, the heights. But it's strange, if you've been following Jesus long enough and seen God show up in enough hospital rooms, enough gravesides, enough miracles, you see that when we face those things, it's actually like the greatest opportunity for God to do something that shows you who he is. When Marcia and I were dating, um, she uh, got in a bad car accident. It was like they had, to, they had to use the jaws of life to get her out. It was like pretty scary. Um, but I show up there and something inside of me, as I went onto the ambulance with her and into the hospital after that for them to check her out, I just, I was smiling. She's like, why are you smiling? <laughs> but I'm like, because I know God is going to show himself to you in this moment, in this season, in ways that you've never seen before. Because he, C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasure. He speaks in our everyday life, but he shouts in our pain. So Jesus showed up in a surprising way, and I think he still does that for us today too. So he sends us into the unknown, meets us there in the surprise, and then Michaela will pick it up after that. Oh, yeah. When you were saying that, I'm glad that Marcia didn't break up with you. True. Yeah. Had many good reasons. So picking up in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. 
So people usually assume that Peter fell because he did not believe in his ability to walk on water. I was actually reading an interesting take on this in a commentary that I was studying on. But really, let's take into account that he was the one who asked God to tell me to come out into the water. So when we keep that in mind, we know that Peter has been watching Jesus perform miracles for some time now. So I believe that Peter knew that he would be successful walking out on the water to Jesus, but the only thing that got him was the wind. So that was not until Peter saw the wind did he fall. In return, Jesus replied, you have little faith. Peter believed in himself all the way up until he saw and felt the strength of the wind. How many of us have been in that same situation? We ask God to send us off or God tells us it's time to go. But when we see adversity come our way, we hesitate. And in any life or death situation, did you know that the worst thing you can do is panic? Why? Because it causes people to lose focus and to doubt themselves. They forget logic and their flight or flight response kicks in into overdrive. Peter lost his focus because at one point he had his eyes set on Jesus and walking on water performing this miracle. And like Pastor Jordan said, walking on water was once again a miracle. Peter was on the verge of a breakthrough. It was a supernatural thing that he had never felt before. So when we try to look at it in this context, then that moment amplifies even more. But once again, because of the wind, because adversity came, because he got a little uncomfortable, because it's something that he was not expecting to happen, because he thought he had to do it alone, this caused him to panic and doubt. In that split second, he fell into the waves. But always remember in that verse, even though he did fall, Jesus was right there for him, extending out his hand and offering help. And so from this, we see that although he doubted and Jesus knew that he had little faith, he was still right there for him. So even in times when we do doubt, even in times when we feel like we have to do it alone, God's always there. He hasn't left us. He won't forsake us. So after this, after Peter falls and Jesus reaches back out to help him get back on the boat, we'll see how the disciples respond to that. Which is, uh, I think, what you would expect in verse 33. Then those who were in the boat with him, after witnessing this whole crazy scene of Jesus being Lord over the abyss, (laughs) that they said, uh, truly, you are the son of God. trusting Jesus in the storm. And again, we could describe lots of different storms here today, couldn't we? You came in here probably with one that's unique to your situation. But trusting Jesus in the storm, the one who is powerful enough to overcome the waves and taking a step. I mean, Peter's story is so cool, right? He still took that step in spite of the wind, in spite of the belief that there's a ghost out there, he knew that, and I love the question he asked Jesus, if it's you, like, call me out there. Like, it makes me think of the the verse that says, my sheep shall know my voice. It's like, I'm scared, but if it's you, I know I'm going to be okay. So they were willing to, he was willing to step out. He saw Jesus meet him there in a surprising way, and then through that, eventually gained the confidence to it at some point in his life 
he could not, Peter could not deny what he had seen, that this is not an ordinary person. This is the son of God, the Messiah that they've been looking for. So today, as we mentioned, is uh, Michaela's last day on staff with us. Uh, she is going to be transitioning to something that I'm going to have her talk about here in a minute. And I hate saying those words because this is a bittersweet day. Um, we've gotten to work really closely together to build what we're seeing happen here and, and watch God work through us. Um, but I do think uh, 100% that um, as we've been walking this road together in ministry, uh, we also share personal stuff, you know, as a staff that's going on in our lives, that uh, God is moving you into the thing that he's calling you into. And it's, it's so cool that this talk, being on this day, aligns so much with what has been happening in your story. So I'd love to, to have you just share a little bit um, that kind of just overlays what we've been talking about today and how you've seen this playing out in your life, like, right now. So tell us the story, Michaela. Yeah. So, once again, I just encourage people to trust God in the storm, no matter what it is, and with their steps, just know that he's going to anoint you. Because before the foundations of this earth was laid, God already won the victory for you. He already said it's going to be okay. I mean, it's harder for us to believe that because we're going through the storm currently, you know? But I always just think, like, one, not only has he been faithful to me before and many times before that, but two, I know that I'll be okay because of him. But stepping down as a kids coordinator was not easy at all. Like, I had many nights where I was up and wrestling with God about leaving. Um, I felt guilt and shame, too, at first, because I'm like, well, this is a church plan, and these are my people, and the kids are important, and I don't want to leave them without knowing that somebody's going to step in. So instead of giving a two-week notice, I gave a four-week a four week notice. I was like, I'll just stay here a whole month, and hopefully somebody will show up. <laughs> but it was really hard that, that month, because it was a month ago. We met on Wednesday for our one-on-one meeting, Pastor Jordan and I, and we talked about where I was, how I was feeling, and we both, we both, he, he kind of knew it, and so did Eric, too, that I was wrestling. And like they said, we share a lot of personal things. So having, their, having them with me definitely helped with this transition. But I had to trust God. Four weeks ago, when I did say that I was giving up the position, I didn't have a job. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with everybody. And I didn't know what was going to be next. And people kept asking me, especially after graduation, well, what's next? What's, what's your plans? And that kind of freaked me out of a little bit. You know, I was trying to keep it composed on the outside, but I was freaking out on the inside because I was like, God, what's next? And so when he tells his disciples to hurry up and wait, I felt that to the, to the core of my being because he did tell me to hurry up and wait. And that's all I could do. Like, he didn't give me any further instructions. It wasn't until a week ago that I got an interview for a school that I just recently graduated from. If you don't know, I graduated from Grace Christian University right down the road. And at first, I didn't want to go back. And I'll be honest, when they first sent me the message like, hey, do you want to come into an interview? I told them no. <laughs> I said, no, I'm good. I, I just want some time away without realizing like God was just dropping this here you go, right in front of me. Like, I'm not, you don't got to work extra hard. You don't got to stress anymore about what's going to be next. But here, and 
go from here, be still, be, be here, be present, and be still. And so after I had left our meeting on Monday, I had a, the interview that same day, and I got hired on the spot. And that is such a huge blessing for me because when his name is Corey Jamison, he's associated with also South Harbor too. So when he asked me, well, I know you're working with Wyoming Harbor. When's your last day going to be? And I told him, oh, it's going to be August 14th. So today, it was going to be today. And he said, well, that's awesome because this position starts August 15th. So tomorrow. <laughs> so I'll be ending this job and then starting a new job right tomorrow at 9 a.m. And But before that, I was, like I said, I was freaking out. I'm, God, where are you, where are you, you going to show? But he was there the whole time. It was just my flesh that was drowning him out a bit, you know. But that's where I'll be doing next. And I'll still be connected with Wyoming Harbor and Harbor Churches. Like, this is my church family. It's been a blessing to be able to find a community of believers that we know messy is okay. And we come together to love God, to love on each other. And even when we don't know who God is, we're still discovering him together and his faithfulness towards us. So that's, all, that's my next steps. And that's kind of like my... Uh, walking on water story right now and it is very timely that we're being able to talk about it so once again it's just been a blessing to be in this position it's been a blessing to get to know everyone and to also serve and lead the kids here and I'm having all these emotions all the feels, <laughs> all the feels. well it's it's so cool that it was I mean t like probably 10 days ago nine days ago a week seven yeah we're like yeah. okay so you're going to leave this talk at, like, you're stuck in the water right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, like, the, the next step for you isn't entirely clear. Um, and there's, this is all good, by the way. There's, like, no bad blood. We're, mm -hmm. We are so cheering you into this next season and feel that reciprocated back as, as we're continuing to, to want to be good news in Wyoming and thinking of ways we can partner with each other because yeah. that's, like, a mile away. So, um, But just want to say a huge blessing to you, Michaela, as you've been faithful uh, with us uh, through all the difficulty of what it means to plant a new church and to make the transitions that we've had. Um, it's been an honor to get to serve with you in this capacity, and it just changes form now. You know, we're, we're still family and still wanting to see God do the same thing here in Wyoming. So uh, it's also cool. Today is uh, the day we, every second Sunday we celebrate communion together and so we're going to do that now and Michaela's going to lead it with me I'm actually going to bring this stuff up here because I think your mic would probably squeak down there so okay. um, no we're good you, were you yeah. good you tried it already yes okay <laughs> good so um we're going to do communion here together um which is also another honor to get to do this with you my sister because this was your first time Preaching in this capacity, and mm -hmm. I was telling your dad earlier, and he knows it because he's seen you every day of your life. That dad wave. That's my <laughs> dad. <right> <laughs> um, that uh, your daughter has been preaching with her life, mm -hmm. and you've seen it, right? We've only been the beneficiary of that this chapter of it, but you have such good reason to be proud, sir, of the daughter you've raised and the impact she's making in the world, mm -hmm. and so. It's been an honor to get to share that with you, Michaela, but now to get to share this moment with you, um, this symbol of communion, this, uh, this thing that ties us to generations of believers all over the world for over 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years. 
It's crazy, isn't it? People in huts, people in tents, people in rainy forests, people in houses, in buildings like this all over the world have been doing this because we believe that Jesus is the bread of life, that he he is who he said he is. So I'm going to let you take the bread and read the scripture over that, and then I'll take the cup after. If anyone wants to follow, we're in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. It says, For I received the Lord, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and he had given thanks and broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And uh, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of my new covenant. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I always think it's worth saying that this table, um, there's different groups that do communion different ways. Um, we are not legalistic or strict about how we do this. Um, if you are a Christian that believes that Jesus is who he says he is, come to the table. It doesn't matter your background. If you are someone that wants to, that's good enough. If you want to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, come forward. Uh, you can either do it this way. You can rip off a piece of the bread here and dip it into the cup. Or you can come take one of these handy-dandy gluten-free uh, options that has a little uh, tab on the top you can take off of the bread and then the juices beneath that. You can come up together as a group if you want with whoever you're with uh, and kind of do it up front here. Uh, the table is open, and you can come celebrate Jesus the way that you'd like to. So the table is ready. Come forward, brothers and sisters.